podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast on Thursday, the 5th of August, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. Virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things like American Netflix, RTE player, BBC iPlayer. Depending on what you're geo-blocked from, you will be able to find a workaround using LibertyShield.com. They also keep your data safe. So check out libertyshield.com. You can use the code EPLVPN and get 20% off either a hardware or a software package. Also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Homeofhopcroft.co.uk. We're also brought to you by the EPL Index shop, which is now on Etsy. So download the Etsy app onto your phone. And search EPL Index. You'll get a full range of merchandise. There's also the Anfield Index shop there as well. If you're a Liverpool fan, it'll cater more to your needs. Right, folks. Some surprising news yesterday. Danny Ings is now an Aston Villa player. Villa completed a stealth move for the Southampton striker. A fee reported to be in the region of 25 to 30 million. Some people say it's too low, but you have to factor in he's 29 years of age. He has only one year left in his contract, and he has had some injury problems. Some people say it's too high, but you factor in, in the 1920 season, when he was fit, he scored 25 goals in 42 games. That is an excellent return. Last season, 13 goals in 33 games. Did have some injury problems. Southampton were very poor for a number of months. I think it's a good move by Villa. I have to say, it's a surprising move. I really thought they'd go Tammy Abraham. But they obviously saw an opportunity here, possibly while talking to Saints about James Ward-Prowse, or maybe Ward-Prowse was never really the target. That's just what was leaked out. And Danny Ings was always who they were aiming for. So you would expect that he will start the season as the number nine, and Ollie Watkins will play wide. Or maybe they'll go with two up top. But it gives them options. It gives them lots of flexibility. They can, of course, play a three up front. Because now they also have Leon Bailey, whose deal is completed. So they could play Bailey off the right, Watkins off the left, and Ings through the middle. And that should give them plenty of firepower. Now, the assumption, obviously, is that this is Villa spending the Jack Grealish money. And a lot of journalists are saying that move is edging closer. The spoofer with the catchphrase has jumped ahead and said the contracts are signed. Nothing of the sort is true yet. But it would be wise, I think, to assume that Jack Grealish is going to become a Manchester City player, a fee of 100 million or 90 million plus Morgan Rogers, who's one of the more talented young players in the country. City stole him from West Brom a few years ago. Uh, massive talent and reunites him with Louis Barry, who was also at West Brom at the same time, two hugely gifted young players. Rodgers had a loan last season, I think with Lincoln, 
but very, very talented, can play up front or can play wide. So they'll develop him into another attacking threat, as they will with Louis Barry. I think Villa have done really well here, personally. I would rather have Emi Buendia, Leon Bailey and Danny Ings, plus Morgan Rogers, than just Jack Grealish. And the fees are the same because they pay $30 million for Buendia, $30 million for Bailey, and it looks like around $30 million for Danny Ings. I would rather have the three of them than just Jack Grealish. Now, individually, I don't think any of them are as good as Grealish, but at the same time, if they're all 80% as good, then in the aggregate, Villa will be better. They'll be a better team for making these moves. It also means that whatever summer budget they had set aside, they now still have. And let's remember, Villa the last couple of seasons have spent over $100 million each year. So the owners aren't afraid to spend money. If Grealish is going, it's because Grealish has asked for the move. He's gone to them and said, look, I think it's time for me to move on. He hasn't done it publicly. I think he's handled himself brilliantly through all of this. He's been training hard, turned up on time. He's done everything that's been asked of him. You can't deny the chap the move because he went down into the championship and stayed there for three years with them when he could have left easily. Signed a new contract within the championship. Probably could have forced his way out last summer. Didn't do it. Got his head down. Had a much better season this past year than he did the year before. Now, 100 million is still ridiculous money for him. He's nowhere close to a 100 million pound player. But the English premium is what it is. And Villa are selling from a position of strength. They don't need to sell him. So you have to blow them away with the offer. And that's what City seem to have done. Villa have set a price and City have met it. I think Villa win the deal. I think they get way over value for a, a very good player, not a great player. And they bring in three good players who will all help them, who are all starter quality players, who are all upgrades on players that were in the team last year. Barkley had a good first half of the season, but then he got injured and was dreadful the second half of the season. Buendia is an upgrade on him. Leon Bailey is an upgrade on Bertrand Traore and Trezeguet and El Ghazi. Danny Ings is a better number nine than Ollie Watkins. He's a better goal scorer than Watkins. And then Watkins moving wide, again, is better than the likes of El Ghazi, Trezeguet, Bertrand Traore. It also means now they have the likes of El Ghazi, Trezeguet and Traore as depth in wide positions. So Villa are going to be very strong. Their backup striker now, rather than relying potentially on Wesley, Ollie Watkins is the backup striker. Even if he starts as a wide player, he'll play centrally when Danny Ings is out. So you won't miss Danny Ings as much when he's out of the team. Villa have given themselves excellent depth. You add Rodgers to that, I think we'll see Barry in the first team squad this year. That's a very, very strong attacking unit. And they may not be done. Like I say, they'll still have their budget to spend this summer. So don't rule out Villa making a couple more moves between now and the end of the transfer window. I like the signing of Ings. I think it's a fair price for both parties. I think it leaves a massive hole at Southampton, though, that they're going to have to address. Now, they've been linked with Armstrong from, Nor from Blackburn, but it looks like Norwich are ahead of them in the race for him. 
So we wait and see what happens there. Norwich were offering more money and a young player in the deal. But Saints are now a little bit cash rich. So maybe they can up, up their offer. There will be other options for them. Um, I think they could try and re-sign Taki Minamino from Liverpool. They might go for Divock Origi from Liverpool. They might look elsewhere for a striker. If the owners were willing to put their hands in the pockets, I wonder could they try for Tammy Abraham. But it, it appears like those owners have pulled back massively, as a lot of Chinese owners have uh, across Europe. But I think Villa win the deal. I think Ings is a is a good signing. He wanted a move to a bigger club. Villa are absolutely a bigger club than Southampton. He also wanted a move back into, into the north because he spent quite a bit of time there with Burnley, with Liverpool. He gets a move to the Midlands. I think it'll keep him happy. I like the signing. I, I do. I hope he stays fit. I think if he does stay fit, he'll be 20 goals next season. He'll give Villa good pressing at the front. His link play is good. He works really hard and works really good in the channels. I think him and Watkins should be promising. You add Bailey, you add Buendia. I like that front four. I really do like that front four. I think it's something that will cause teams a lot of problems. There's a lot of pace, a lot of power in that. Great creativity with Buendia. And I like this in the fact that it takes the burden of being the main goal scorer of Watkins. Watkins is then your secondary goal scorer. Bailey then is your kind of your third banana, the third guy who could score your goal. And having all of them around takes the pressure to get goals off Buendia. Buendia got a lot of goals last season, but he is mostly a creative player. He he wants to set things up for other people. Doesn't necessarily want to take it on himself. And I think he'll be able to do that now because he'll have three competent goal scorers around him. I like this for Villa. I really, really do. Um, and credit to them for getting this done so quietly. Nobody had a, had a word about this. No journalist reported even interest in Danny Ings from Villa, let alone an approach, an offer. He had contracts signed before anybody knew what was going on. So like I said earlier, I do wonder if they were using the Ward-Prowse interest as a bit of a smokescreen to get this deal done. Maybe they still go back for Ward-Prowse. We'll wait and see. But I, I don't think Villa are done. It looks like Chelsea may get the striker of their dreams as well. Romelu Lukaku allegedly has told Inter Milan he is ready to leave if they receive a suitable offer. That is a U-turn on what he said early in the summer and won't sit well, I don't think, with Inter fans, if that's true. Now, the report is that Inter have rejected two previous bids from Chelsea, including one that was €100 million Euro and Marcus Alonso. Now, so that's about £85 million. Chelsea are going to go back with a £110 million bid. I'm guessing Alonso won't be part of that. It's going to be a straight cash deal. Lukaku is a massive signing for Chelsea if they get that across the board. We can look at his time at United and be critical, but we can also look at his time at Everton 
at West Brom and now at Inter Milan and see what he's capable of and see what he did in the Euros for Belgium. This Lukaku is not the same Lukaku that played at United. That Lukaku was unmotivated, lacking in confidence. This Lukaku is completely different. This is a different animal altogether. This is fired up on top of his game, right in the middle of his prime, a force of nature. You put him into this Chelsea team with the attacking talent they can put around him, Timo Werner, Christian Pulisic, Kai Havertz, obviously. That's the one I want to see, Havertz and Lukaku. That's going to be a very interesting link-up. If they figure out how to play together, they will be sensational. You've also got Callum Hudson-Odoi. Mason Mount can play in attacking positions. It's going to be interesting to see what kind of shape their team takes next season, whether Tuchel sticks with the back three, whether he goes to a two up front, whether he goes one up front with one behind in a 4-2-3-1, which can play Hazard, uh, sorry, Havertz as the 10. Maybe you go with Mount playing off one side but narrow, and then hudson Adoy or Pulisic on the other wing. Werner maybe then as kind of a an option off the bench. Or I do wonder if he'll play Werner and Lukaku in a similar style to how Inter played Latura Martinez and Lukaku. Now, if Werner can get into the habit of running the channels, dropping a bit deeper, linking play, and then making late bursts into the box, I think that partnership with Lukaku could come to something. Would allow Havertz to play deeper, either as a 10 or maybe as part of a midfield three. It could be that him and Mason Mount sort of battle for a role in the team. I still think they could do with a holding midfielder and they need to address centre-back. They're trying to do that at the moment with Jules Kunde, but we'll see if they have the cash to do that. They probably will after this type of deal, but it'll be an interesting one to keep an eye on. Um, that's pretty much it at the moment in terms of news other than, than Grealish is probably going to complete his deal to City in the next day or two. Uh, so it is Thursday, which means it's questions day. So we've got a few questions um, from the Anfield Index Discord. Guy has sent me one from EPL Index writer Stephen Smith. Um in the 08-09 season, Liverpool finished four points behind United in second. At the end of the season, they sold Alonso, Decina, and Arbeloa, recruiting Aquilani, Maxi, uh, Maxi Rodriguez, and your favourite right-back, Glenn Johnson. I can't abide Glenn Johnson. Um, you have to reshape that window to your liking. You can keep who you like and recruit two gettable players to overthrow United and win the league ten years earlier. Right. Liverpool 0809. So I've got my goalkeeper. I've got Pepe Rain. I'm happy with that. I'm going to assume I have to sell the three players that were sold because well Alonso wanted to go. I wouldn't excuse me, I wouldn't have sold Arbeloa, but it is what it is. Right, let's see. I can I think I assume I can sell who I want here as well, but I'll try and just keep it to buying a couple of players for around the same money that Liverpool spent on 
Johnson, which was about 17 million, and Aquilani, which I think was 20 million. That's 37 million. And I need a right back and I need a central midfielder. Um, ideally, I'd be selling, obviously, Martin Skirtle and Lucas, uh, selling them as far away from the club as possible. I've got Torres, I've got Gerard, and keep what's there. Right. I'm going to, move, going to base this on players who moved that summer. So I'm not going to go with anybody that didn't move or anything like that. I'm going to try and keep it as, as real as possible uh, in terms of the players that did move and players that Liverpool potentially could have signed. So let's see. Um, in the Premier League, I mean, we know Rafa wanted Garrett Barry, but that was a disastrous idea. So we'll rule that one out. Um, there isn't really anyone in the Premier League that moved that year. I mean, the biggest transfers that summer in England where the fee was disclosed was Cristiano heading to Real, Alonso heading to Real, Carlos Tevez going to Man City. Hilariously, Manchester United fans are still under the impression that they actually got part of that fee. They didn't. He was only ever on loan there. Roque Santa Cruz also went to City and so did Garrett Barry. Stuart Downing went to Villa. Shame he didn't stay there for the rest of his career. Um, there was obviously a bunch of undisclosed fees. So trying to pick out... I mean, Damien Duff doesn't fill either of our needs, but I do like Damien Duff. I'm going to go ahead and say that nobody moved in England that would have fulfilled the needs that I have at right back or at um or in central midfield. So let's look to other leagues. What about Spain? Real Madrid sold Wesley Schneider to Inter Milan for 15 million. Could I have moved Gerard back into central midfield? At that point, in his career, still in his prime, Gerard and Mascherano, and played Schneider as a ten. I think that's one option. It's an option I quite like as well. Okay, that's one option. Um. Let's see. Right, let's see. Who else moved? 
Javier Pastore would have been too early for him to move to Liverpool. Thiago Mata, always liked him. Um, he moved from Genoa to Inter Milan. Now, could Liverpool have hijacked that and gotten him? He was 27, 27 at the time, 26 going 27. So in his prime, that could be one. Lucas Sigurini I did like at the time, but he, he never quite developed. Um, Johan Gorkov, he could be another one. He had come through at Ren, looked like he was going to be a big star, went to Milan, didn't really work. Went back to France and did pretty well. Had a good career, but never never became the, the next Zidane like he was he was tagged to be. Um Felipe Melo, I really liked. Now he's not I suppose the thing with Rafa, Rafa was kind of looking for a ball player, and Melo was more a holding midfield player. But at the same time, great ball winner. And him and Mascherano could have been fairly immense. The two best options I've got so far are Schneider and Thiago Mata. And da, da, da. Let's run through the German clubs. Nobody at Wolfsburg. Wouldn't have gotten any of them. Sven Bender moved that summer. He would go on to be a very good player. Wasn't ready for Liverpool at the time. Uh, Lewis Holtby never became good enough. Funnily enough, Joel Matip promoted into the Schalke senior squad that summer. Um, Lars Bender joined Bayer Leverkusen. Sammy Hippia also joined Leverkusen that summer, so Liverpool lost him too. Cenk Tusen was promoted into the Eintracht Frankfurt senior squad. Um, Borussia Mönchengladbach signed Marco Royce and Marc-Andre Ter Stegen. Ter Stegen was in their academy. They promoted him, but that's two excellent young players they got through that year. I'm going to say... There's no one else. I'm going to say I'll take... Wesley Schneider, I think we could have outbid Inter. I think we had more money to spend. We also did the Alonso deal. So surely we could have gotten Schneider as part of that. I always thought we should have tried for Schneider and Robin. If we'd given them Alonso and Cash, I think we could have got Schneider and Robin at the time. The team we had, the likes of Mascherano, Gerard, and Torres, all world class, I think those... Those two could have been up for that. Um, but I'll take Schneider first and foremost. Now, there's no right back that moved that summer that I think would have been 
a good signing, but the one I would have gone for, and I think he would have been available and up for the move at the time, was Dario Serna, who was at Shakhtar Donetsk. Now, obviously, he went on and became a legend of the club, played there for 15 years. But at the time, I do think there was a possibility to get him. Things were changing in Ukrainian football. The The Premier League had just been kind of formed off the back of the old league, a bit like the way the, the Premier League was formed off the back of the first division here. Um, I'll say Dario Serna, and I think you probably would have gotten him for about 15 million. So he would have been expensive, but I think he would have been a great signing. So I'll take those two. I think Dario Serna in at right back. You go Serna, Carragher, Agger. You still have a big problem at left back. We had um, Emiliano and Sua played a lot of the following season, wasn't ready, but I still have money left because I haven't spent as much as Rafa did on uh, on Johnson and Aquilani. So I think I can go and find a left-back for seven million. I go Mascherano and Gerrard, Coit, Schneider, Riera or Babel, wide left. It's not ideal. The left side is the weak link, as it was at the time. And then Torres the front, but I still think that's a title-winning team. I think why Schneider, I mean, he would go on I mean, Serna obviously went on to become as close to world class as you can be playing in that league. Um, and Schneider went on to become undeniably world class. He would win the World Player of the Year. Didn't he? Didn't he? He didn't. He got ripped off. Who won the Ballon d'Or in 2010? Probably Cristiano. It should have been Wayne Schneider. 2010, he was the best player in the world. Without a shadow of a doubt, he was the best player in the world that year. But um, yeah, that's what I'd do. I'd assign Schneider. He went. He moved that summer for less than Liverpool played, substantially less than Liverpool paid for Aquilani. Real were desperate to sell players because they were bringing in Kaka, Cristiano, um, and Alonso. I think they brought in Benzema that year as well, did they? Real Madrid 0-9-10. Ezekiel Gray back off loan. Arbeloa, Kaka, Ronaldo, Alonso, Alvaro Negredo, Raul Albiol, Karim Benzema, Esteban Granero. Now, Granero and Negredo, I think they had buybacks on them. That's how they bought them back. But, like, still, Benzema, Albiol, Alonso, Cristiano... Kaka and Arbeloa, all in one summer. That is obscene. They sold Schneider and Robin. Guys telling me here, hang on. Oh, Messi won the Ballon d'Or in 2010. Okay, Iniesta, Xavi. I still think Schneider should have won it, I I have to say. Iniesta and Xavi are in it because of how well they did with Spain. Uh, Messi is Messi, but I think Schneider deserved it that year. Um, Real sold Klasian Huntler, wouldn't have helped us at the time. Sold Negredo. Sold Schneider and Robin for €40 million Euro combined. They paid Liverpool €35 million and €5 million in add-ons for Alonso. 
I think they could have gotten Liverpool could have gotten both of them, being honest. I think they could have gotten both of them. And then I end up with Schneider one side. I can play Couch, maybe the other side, or Riera or Babel. Yeah, I, I think that's just Schneider as the ten. Robin off the off the right wing, Cout off the left. Probably get away with Arbelor and Sua for a year, buy someone the following summer. Maybe play Agar there a little bit, just to get you through. Yeah, Dario Serna. That's what I would have done. Dario Serna, and I would have done that. I would have forced a swap deal, Schneider and Robin, for Alonso. I think I think b- both parties would have been happier with that than what what actually turned out. Um, right, moving on. Um, thank you for the question, though, Stephen. Much appreciated. It is nice to look back on that era and uh, remember some of the the quality players we had, but also some of the bad things that we did, like signing Glenn Johnson. Um, Lubo, with all the changes at Villa, what is their starting lineup on opening day? Is it 4-3-3, Also, what do you expect from Norwich City this year? Will they stay up or do you see them going back down? I'm curious to see what they look like on opening day against Liverpool. I'm quite curious to see what Norwich look like as well. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, they seem to be in the mix for Armstrong. Uh, Cash plus Adam Aday, who's a very talented young player. Um, they're also in talks to bring in young uh, Brandon Williams on loan from Manchester United. So it looks like they're making a better go of it this time than they did the last time they came up. They've kept hold of Max Aaron so far. They've kept hold of um, Todd Cantwell. They've obviously sold Emmy Buendia. But I really like the signing of Milot Rashica. They've made Ben Gibson's deal permanently. They've brought in Pierre-Lise Malou from Nice. He's a decent player. Uh, they've made Angus Gunn's deal permanent as well for competition at the goalkeeper position. He was there before on a loan and did well. So if they can keep hold of what they have, they've brought in Billy Gilmore on loan, of course. If they keep hold of what they have, add Armstrong, and I think they need one more in defence. I think I think they could do with another one in defence. Maybe someone that can play, ideally at centre-back, but maybe centre-back and holding midfield, kind of flip between the two, similar to what Ben Godfrey used to do for them. Um, now, those players are hard to find, and when you do find them, they're expensive, but maybe they can they can address it in the loan. Ethan Ampadu could be a really good fit there, good development club, good manager. I would imagine Farka has a relationship with Tuchel, considering they were at Dortmund at the same time. Yeah, they were there the same two years. Farka was the B team manager of Dortmund too, and Tuchel was the first team head coach. So maybe there's a relationship there that he could tap into. I know they are, they got Billy Gilmore. They can't loan again from Chelsea, can they? Uh, that's probably how they got Billy Gilmore. Um, right, well, that's my excitement for that one round. Um, but someone of that ilk, someone like Ampadu, if they could find that player, um, I think it would be very, very beneficial to them. I do think they're probably one of the favourites to go back down. 
I just... Delia Smith's very tight with her money. And you know that come the end of the summer, they're probably going to have a net spend of five to ten million. Now, Stuart Weber's brilliant, the, the director of football there, sporting director, I think is his actual title. But you can only go so far in the Premier League with that type of budget. And they've never really given him enough backing to make things happen the way I think he would like it to happen. Last summer, they made a couple of big sales and still didn't spend huge money. So uh, I just think I, I just think Delia Smith runs the club too tight-fisted for them to survive as a Premier League team. Now, they'll, be, they'll go up and down. They'll be a yo-yo club. But I, I just think she's too tight-fisted. And that's what it comes down to. As for Villa, I think 4-2-3-1. I think we're looking at... Now, Louise may not be back in time because obviously he's still at the Olympics. So they'll probably want to give him a bit of a holiday. Um, so he may not start the season. Uh, so they'll have McGinn in midfield. Maybe with Marvellous Nakamba to start the season. Morgan Sanson could play in centre midfield with McGinn. So that that's a possibility. Maybe Jacob Ramsey. It's probably too early for Carney to get a start. He's only 17. Um, it's probably too early for him. So I guess they start the season McGinn and Sanson as a two. Of course, they'll get more out of Sanson this year as well. So I think that's a big bonus for them. I expect it's Bailey off the right, Watkins off the left, Buendia as the 10 and Ings as the 9. I think that's what we'll probably see. Or it could be that he plays Bailey off the right, Buendia off the left, and the two boys up front. He could go to a 4-4-2. He's got the options, but I think he goes 4-2-3-1 to start the season anyway. Um, and then Douglas Louise will come back in and replace Sanson once he gets back. Wouldn't surprise me if Villa added one more in midfield. They do look a little bit light there. A lot of young players in the squad. A lot of young midfielders available to them. But maybe just not not enough numbers of senior play-every-game type of midfielders. Matty Cash should be at right-back. Matt Target should be at left-back. And I'm assuming it'll be Konza and Mings with Emmy Martinez in goal. So that's what I'm guessing will be their starting 11 on the opening day. Uh, Chris Colby, to expand on the question from Lubo, who would you sign as a Mings replacement and where do you think they'll finish in the table? I would sign Maxence Lacroix of Wolfsburg. I think he would be a perfect fit next to Esri Konza. 6-3, dominant in the air, great pace, good on the ball, good aggression, doesn't make the stupid mistakes that Mings is prone to. Now, the the only doubt that he's right-footed, whereas Mings is left-footed, so it gives them different angles to build out from the back. But I would much rather have Lacroix. I'd rather have his upside. I think he's already a better defender than Mings. Doesn't have the mistakes in this game that Mings has and will only continue to improve. So I would go for him. And I think he can be had 
for somewhere in the region of about 30 million this summer, which Villa will have uh, to spend. Mr. Ecker, let's assume that these clubs have a good transfer window addressing their actual needs with the manager they have in place. How many years before they can compete? Oh, sorry, I forgot to answer where do I think Villa will finish in the table. I think they'll push for eighth. I think they'll push for Europe, and I think if they don't, Dean Smith could be in trouble. Villa will want continued progression. This isn't some situation where the club have been bought by guys who just want to run a football club. These guys want success. These guys want to return Villa to the elite group. I think Dean Smith will be under pressure this year to deliver, if not European football, a good challenge for European football. So I think they'll push for seventh or eighth. Um, anyway, Mr. Ecker, let's assume these clubs have a good transfer window addressing their actual needs with the managers they have in place. How many years before they can compete for top four spots and be genuine title contenders? Arsenal, Spurs, Everton, Villa. So if we rank the managers, Rafa is the best, then Nuno, then Dean Smith, then Arteta. In terms of the teams they have, I think Spurs have the best team. Villa may be the second best team. Everton and Arsenal. Arsenal aren't bad at all, but they have issues. They need a goalkeeper. They absolutely need a goalkeeper. It's not Aaron Ramsdale, though. If they sign Ramsdale to go with Ben White, I think it's going to set them back. But if Arsenal had addressed their real issues this summer, they'd have brought in someone like Rajkovic. They'd have brought in a good right back like, say, Max Ahrens. They'd have gone with Saliba and Gabriel, kept Mavroponos, gone, you know, had Pablo Marias do the backup. They did buy a good backup left back, so credit to them for that. Um, they still need a central midfielder, but it looks like they're going to keep Granite Xhaka, which is just baffling to me. Um, no, they are going to keep him because they've given him a new deal. So we should all just take a moment and pause and laugh at them. Um, how you give that man a new contract when he's been abysmal for you since the day he signed, I've no idea. They want a number 10. So my assumption is we're going to see a lot of Saka off the right, Smith Rowe off the left. And a new number 10. They were obviously interested in Odegaard. They had him last season on loan, or second half last season on loan. They wanted to keep him. Real have pushed him away. They may still go back for him if Real are open to a sale. But at the moment, it looks like they're focused in on James Madison. I think they're fine up front. They've got Aubameyang, Lacazette, uh, Enketia, Balogun, Martinelli. They've got loads of options up front. They don't need to do anything up front. So, you know, they've been linked with Lauturo. I don't understand why... Now, maybe they're going to play two up front, but it makes no sense. If you're looking for a number 10, why you would buy him as well. Now they, some of their fans think they're going to get both. They're deluded. Uh, they may well get James Madison. Reports today that Joe Willock could be on his way to Newcastle for £25 million. It's a bit of an overpay. A bit of an overpay, but I think important for Newcastle if they can get him in the door to get him in the door. Just don't know that they'll ever see that money again. Um, so that money would go towards Madison. Perhaps they don't buy a goalkeeper this summer. Maybe they keep Leno for another year. Leno's definitely better than Ramsdale. So maybe it's Leno. Maybe they keep Bellerin if they can't find a better right back. They can find a better right but they just can't find a buyer for him. Maybe it's Bellerin, White, 
Gabrielle, Tierney, Xhaka and, Tom, and Thomas Partey, Madison as the 10, Saka. That, to me, is still not a team that's breaking into the Europa League. Under this manager, I don't think they're getting back to top four, is, is the honest answer. The roundabout way of saying I don't think they'll get back to top four with Arteta. Even if they'd addressed what they need, I just I think he overthinks things. I think he does pep things. I also don't know that he's ever shown us he can set a team up to go and play attacking football. They played some nice stuff second half of the season for about 10 games. But what he had shown us prior to that was he can set a team up to spoil a game and try and hit teams on the counter or force teams into a mistake. He's yet to show us he can set a team up to go out and win a game. So I, I don't think they get top four with him. Spurs obviously much depends on Harry Kane. Now, if we work under the assumption that Kane is going to stay and that they're going to play I don't know, 3-4-3, because that's what Nuno does. As things stand, Romero's on his way. That that deal is as good as done. So he's he's on his way in. They still need another centre-back. Ideally, they still need two more centre-backs, but I think they'll get one more in. So let's say they get one more centre-back and let's say either Roden or Davies or Tanganga maybe starts as the left-side centre-back. Uh, Davies is the obvious fit because he's left-footed, but Roden and Tanganga, I think, are, are better centre-backs. Um, say it's Tommy, Tommy Asso, Romero and him. They brought in Galini, they still have Larice goalkeeper they'll get by for a year right wing back Doherty can play there Aurier can play there I think Bergvine could play there left wing back they've got regular and Cessna on they're, they're sort, sorted there central midfield um, you've got Heusberg you've got Winks you've got Ndombele you've got Sissoko you've got Lacelso. probably fine there uh, Ollie skip back as well he might go on loan but they're probably fine in central midfield so ideally, I think you'd look to bring in another starter in attack as well as a backup for Kane. And maybe that can be the same player. Maybe it's someone that can do both roles. Or maybe you play Delhi behind Kane and Son and you just look to bring in a backup for Kane. Um, Simi that they were linked with the other day from, from Crotone. He'd be perfect. I think Spurs don't need to do too much to get top four. What they need is consistency and Kane to stay fit. Now, that's easy to say, but that's what they need. You look at a team of, let's just say, Lloris, Tamiasu, Romero, Roden, Doherty, Hoisberg, Endombele, Regulon, Ali, Son and Kane. That's a top four team. And there's good depth behind it if they address the depth behind Kane. Because they've got LaSalle, so they've got Brian Gill now. They've got Lucas Moore. They've got Bergvine. It's a lot of attackers. They've got um, Winks, like I said, Sissoko, Skip, Sessegnon, Aurier. Davinson Sanchez may still be there. Tanganga. It's a, it's a solid group. I think consistency is, is the key for them. The talent is there. There's, I don't think there's any doubt they can be a top four team. Now, I don't know if Nuno's a top-four manager, but we'll wait and see. But I think maybe a year. Maybe a year for Spurs if things break their way. All it takes is one of last year's top four to have a stinker. 
Could be United, could be Chelsea. Don't think it'll be Liverpool, don't think it'll be City. But if Liverpool had the injury problems they had last year, wouldn't rule it out. Everton, I think you're looking three years because I think there's quite a long way for them to go. And the bones of something good is there. Um, I think if you were to play Holgate right back, Godfrey is a centre-back. I think you buy another centre-back. Dean yet left back. I think they need a better goalkeeper because I, I just don't rate Pickford at all. Um, so goalkeeper, centre-back. Midfield, maybe bring in one more. Maybe bring in someone that can can put their foot in the ball and pass it like a Ruben Neves or Taylor Coop Miners. Taylor Coop Miners probably more affordable and easier to get for them and would leave money for other positions. Um, they definitely need help in wide areas. That's the, probably the biggest need. If they could add a Dwight McNeil. Um, I mean, for me, if I was Rafa and I want to play 4-2-3-1, and I know I've got Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison as two of my front four, I'd play Richarlison off the right, Calvert-Lewin as the nine, and I'd try and buy Deli Ali as my number 10. I would go to Spurs and say, look, hasn't worked for him. He's fallen off a cliff the last couple of years. What's your what's your break-even price? 25, 30 million? Try and get that done. Try and get McNeil in. That gives me McNeil to play wide on the left. Ali is the 10. Richarlison to play a narrow right side. I'm not asking him to do a whole lot of tracking back because I've got Holgate as the right back. Godfrey... Maybe you just move forward with Yerry Mina because you spent a lot of money in the attacking positions. Coop Miners and Alan as the midfield two. I like that. I've got Decore, Gabaman, and Davies then as options. So loads and loads of energy, aggression, ball winning. Coop Miners can be just that playmaker in midfield, that Alonso type that he had at Liverpool. So Coop Miners would be the one there. Coop Miners, Ali, McNeil. I think you just roll with what they have defensively. I'd still want a goalkeeper because, like I said, I don't, I don't rate Pickford. Maybe I can fool Arsenal into giving me a big bag of money for Pickford. They seem to want to buy a bad goalkeeper. Um, but I still think it's a couple of years for Everton to work their way because you're still waiting on Calvert-Lewin to become more consistent over the course of the season. You're waiting on Richarlison to become consistent. You've got to build Deli Ali back up. You've got to get McNeil more developed, open up more of his attacking game. That might cost you Dini in the short term, but really, who's going to buy him? There's not a whole lot of clubs out there looking for a very expensive left-back. Godfrey has room to grow, time to develop. So I think probably three years. Um, And Villa, under the current manager, I don't think can do it. I don't think Dean Smith is a top-four manager. I do think they've got top-four owners. I think they've got Douglas Luiz could play for a top four club. Emmy Martinez could play for a top four club. Ezri Konza could play for a top four club. Maybe Matty Cash. I think the rest are probably squad players at top four clubs. I think Bailey, Watkins, Buendia, they're, they're squad players at City, Liverpool, United or Chelsea. Um, so Zings, so is McGinn. Uh, Matt Target would be a solid backup left back for any club in the league, but as a starter, I think there's a limit on him. 
I think they've got three who could start in the top four. Because I think if you put... Douglas Luiz would start for Manchester United. I think he'd start for Chelsea. Not every game for Chelsea, because they've got a lot of rotation options. But I think he could he could start for them. He would definitely start for United. He's better than what they have in that area. Ezri Konza could definitely start for Chelsea. Um, he would have been a good fit for United next to Slabhead. But they've obviously brought in Varane. Uh, he could start for Liverpool, but he obviously wouldn't get in the team at the moment with the players they have. But he's the type that could, he would fit. And you could see him. I would rather have him over John Stones, personally. And Emmy Martinez is a better goalkeeper than United or Chelsea have. And I think he's probably on a par with Ederson. Not obviously as good with his feet, but a better shot stopper, more commanding on crosses. Those three are top four caliber. The rest, squad players at the top four level, but good in that kind of five to eight range. So I don't think Villa can get there with the current manager. But I do think that is the long-term aim for them. They're, they're looking at Leicester and thinking, we can be you. We can be you. We can build a team to get to where you are in a couple of years. Uh, and I think that's what they'll do. Um, also, what was your prediction for the upcoming season regarding which player could have a surprisingly good season and which player is likely to have a disappointing season? For disappointing season, pencil in Jack Grealish. Uh, for surprisingly good season, Hmm. That's an interesting one. There's a few players that you kind of look about at and you think, yeah, you could be... I'm going to say Richarlison. He's unlikable. But I think he can get 15 league goals next season. And I will probably be completely wrong about that, but I think under Rafa... He could get 15 league goals next season. I think Rafa's the type of manager who will get the best out of him. He's going to come back off a high from the Olympics, having done very well. He's going to be... No, no actually, you know what? He's going to be exhausted because he didn't he play in the Copa America as well. So let's actually remove that suggestion. Um... Unless he gets sold... And just to make sure he hasn't been sold, because I don't think he has. No. Musa Genepo. Keep an eye on him for Southampton this year. I think he could have a good season this year and maybe earn himself a move to a bigger club. Very, very talented, but very inconsistent so far at Saints. But I think he'll have a good season and maybe earn himself a move. Uh, I think Grealish will be... The, the, the reason I'm saying Grealish is because he's, gonna, he's costing £100 million. He has to be one of the best players in the league next year or it's a disappointment. I'm sorry. I don't make the rules. I'm just here to enforce them. Um, Chris Colby, who do you think are the least and most protected coaches and players by the media based on things they say and do? Broke Pep and Harry Kane have inspired the question. Most protected players, Harry Kane for his behavior and the, the cheating that he regularly partakes in. And Jordan Henderson. Least protected players, Raheem Sterling, Mo Salah. Most protected coach, Pep, obviously. Um, Arteta has been fairly well protected so far. Ollie's very well protected because he's got so many mates in the media. 
Bruce is well protected. He's got mates in the media. Uh, least protected, Rafa, Bielsa, and Klopp. Don't get the protection they deserve. Uh, Dell, had English teams not been banned from Europe after the Heysel disaster, how do you think, do you think the likes of AC Milan would have dominated? And do you think Liverpool would have regressed in the 90s? Would Ferguson have been as dominant in the Premier League era? Also, Dalglish team in the late 80s versus Saki team, who wins? Right, let's do that part first. So Liverpool's 1989 FA Cup final team, Bruce Grobler and goal. Uh, Steve Nickel right back, Steve Staunton left back, Gary Ablett and Alan Hansen at centre back. AC Milan 1989 European Cup final team. Giovanni Galli in goal. I would take Robelar over him, but I take Tassotti over Nickel, better defender, Maldini over Staunton without question. Now, the two best centre backs are Hansen and Baresi, but they both play left side and they perform that similar sweeper type role. So Brazy over Hansen, Costa Curta over Ablett. Uh, in midfield, Liverpool's two centre midfielders were Ronnie Whelan and Steve McMahon. AC Milan centre midfielders were Frank Reichard and Carlo Ancelotti. I'm going to take Frank, obviously, and I'm going to take Ronnie Whelan. I think he's he's the one to go with there. Uh, they had Donadoni wide left. And uh, Colombo wide right. Liverpool had Ray Houghton on the right and Barnes on the left. I'm going to steal Donadoni, put him on the right-hand side where he would play later in his career and go with Barnes on the left. Up front then, Liverpool had Beardsley and Aldridge. Um, Milan had Hullet and Van Basten. So it's Hullet and Van Basten. So that Milan team is better than the Liverpool team. There's just... There's no real way to argue it, I don't think. It just is a better team. Now, Ian Rush came off the bench. He was obviously better than Aldridge, but Van Basten was still better than him. Uh, the Milan team was better. There's there's just no doubt in my mind that that Milan team was better. As great as the Liverpool team were, and there were multiple Liverpool players, I think, who would get into that Milan team. Um, I just think the Milan team was better. As for would Milan have dominated... Football works in cycles, so one league always rises up as others fall off. Would it have dominated to the extent it does? No, I don't think so. Um, would Liverpool have fallen off, though? Probably yes, because it was soon as more than anything else that caused them to fall off. Um, they still dominated English football for, what, four years afterwards? So I don't think that can be attributed to Liverpool's collapse, but more of the Sooness appointment and some of the bad signings. Um, would would Milan have dominated, though? It would have been interesting to see because England was never really a big destination for foreign players until the advent of the Premier League and all the money that came in. So it's hard to see that an English club would have stopped Milan getting Rijkaard, Hullet and Van Basten. Uh, or an Italian club getting Bremer, was it Bremer, Klinsmann, and Lothar Matthias, I think it was the three Germans they had. Um, Italy already had, or so Juventus already had the likes of Platini, Laudrup, Liam Brady had been there, others as well. Um, 
I, I think it would have. I think it, Milan probably would have. It's hard to see how an English club would have would have gotten those other three. They didn't really buy overseas players at the time. Um, so no, I, I, I don't think it had a huge impact on Milan and Syria taking over the way they did. I mean, from 06 after high after Heisel through to 2006, Syria was the best league in the world, and for me. You can't put 20 years of dominance just down to Heisel. Yes, it probably set English teams back. Yes, it probably cost a couple of English teams uh, a chance at, at European glory. But I think overall, Serie A would have won out because there was just more money in the league at the time. Um, Willology, what are your thoughts on Wolves and Southampton heading into the season? Seen a few shouts recently that they might get dragged into the relegation scrap. Was wondering how you rated them going into the season. Also, any other normally mid-table teams you could find, you think could find themselves scrapping to stay up? Right, Southampton. I think yes. I think they will end up scrapping against relegation. It's not the best squad. There's holes in multiple areas. They need depth, and they don't really have much money. Now, Ralph says he's looking to bring in a couple of players, um, and he's looking for an Ings replacement. But we'll wait and see if they get the money. Wolves, I think, should be fine. I think a lot of the thing with Wolves is the uncertainty of the manager because he's not a known quantity in England. But if he gets them playing the way he got Benfica playing, yeah, I mean, he, he, they could do quite well. They've got a lot of talent. They'll get Neto back at some point. They've brought in Trinkiao. They have Jimenez back now. They still own Adama. Whether he's there when the season kicks off or not, we don't yet know. They've got Pedence. Um, they've got Fabio Silva. They've got Ruben Neves. They've got Den Donker. Now, I still think the centre-back situation's a mess because Connor Cody can't defend in the two. Uh, neither can Willie Bolly. And Kilman's decent. They need to address centre-back. If they address centre-back, I think they'll be fine. They've got Aitnuri at left-back. They've got Semedo and Kian Hoiver at right-back. I wouldn't be a big fan of the goalkeeper they brought in. Uh, Sa, I, I wouldn't be a fan of him at all. I think that's a downgrade, even though I think uh, last season, we saw a regression uh, at the goalkeeper position for them. But moving forward, I, I think they should be all right in mid-table. But Saints, yeah, Saints would concern me. Um, as for teams that could find themselves dragged back into it, I'm very concerned by Brighton's lack of real notable action yet. Um You would have thought they would have a striker in by now. You would have thought they would have brought in that left back that they've been pining for. Now, I do think Mwepu, the midfielder they brought in, is a good buy. Um, they lost Davy proper, but they, they were happy enough to do that. They sold Bernardo, sold Ben White, sold Johan Bikash. Never really worked, for the, worked out for them. Matt Ryan left. Squad-wise, they're a little bit light. They need a striker. They need a left-back. They need probably need a centre-back as well. Um, but they still have Basuma. It's still a decent squad. They still have Lamptey, Dunk, Webster. They now have Carboniak and Motor, who they didn't have all the last season. They're both good players. Now, they still need a goal scorer and a left-back. They get them, they'll be fine. If they don't, I think they'll be dragged into it. Newcastle is is the other obvious one. I mean, 
It's just so hard to tell with them. They've done nothing so far in the transfer market. Um, they've sold a couple of players, but nobody of of real um, no. Atsu was released. Lejean was sold. Sorensen was sold. None of these players really impact things for them moving forward. If they get Willock in, that's one helpful piece, but I still think they need more. Newcastle could be one that get dragged back in. And, you know, I know every year you kind of say them, but I think with the Premier League, it is basically a group of teams that scrap against relegation and a group of teams that think they're going to get into Europe. And I don't think there's anyone else really who's not in one of those two groups. There's obviously different groups of Europe. There's the Champions League group, then there's the Europa League group. But I still think there's two groups in the Premier League. Those who aim for Europe and those who aim just to stay up. Um, James, I remember we were heavily heavily linked with Mo Salah when he went to Chelsea. How do you think, think, how do you think things would have panned out had we got him? Do you think he would have developed into the player he is now earlier? This is a hard one. So Salah moved to Chelsea in 2014, January 2014, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So that's obviously the year Liverpool were challenging for the title. So he would have joined Liverpool with a front three of Suarez, uh, Sturridge and Sterling and Coutinho playing minutes in the front three as well. So he would have been a squad player, which would have taken a lot of the pressure off him. He could have been a good option off the bench. He was coming in, having done very well um, at Ball in his two years there. He goes the second year, he had 10 goals in 29 games across all competitions. He'd done very well in European competition. Uh, the first season, he managed 10 and 50. Not great, but good for your first season in Europe. He would have probably ended up in a similar situation. He would have been a squad player to begin with. But if Suarez still planned to leave that summer, then maybe Rodgers gives him the opportunity the following season and goes to the front three of Salah, Sturridge, Sterling, with Coutinho in midfield with, uh, say, Jordan Henderson and Emery Chan or Steven Gerrard and Jordan Henderson or Steven Gerrard and Emery Chan, whatever situation he would have played. Um, some games it would have been Chan, Henderson and Gerrard. So obviously Chan arrived the next summer, uh, summer 2014. Uh, it might have meant we didn't waste money on Lalana, so that would have been great. Um, but if Rodgers intended to play 4-2-3-1, maybe he just gets shunted into a wing position that doesn't help him develop the way he does. As it worked out, I think his career probably panned out for the best in going to Chelsea and it not working, going to Fiorentina on loan, doing well there, going to Roma on loan, playing really well there, goes back to Roma on a permanent deal, has another excellent season, and that puts him in the crosshairs for Liverpool. And obviously we know what happened once he joined, uh, and he's just taken off since he's since he's come to the club, 125 goals in 203 games. So... No, I don't I don't necessarily think it works out any better. I, I think maybe it's the same thing, except maybe he gets more damaged at Liverpool, gets hung on to longer and doesn't get the opportunity to go to Roma. Um Isaac Balding, who is the best ginger player of all time? And would it be possible to make a decent eleven out of only ginger players? So I actually saw this one and the next one come in. So I've actually done a bit of research on this. 
to be prepared. So, I am going to suggest that the three best ginger players of all time, most talented, Robert Prozanecki. Now, he never became the player he should have been, but he's in the list anyway. Paul Scholes, obviously. And Matthias Sammer, who was European Footballer of the Year. I'm going to say Zammer is probably the best of the three in that when he hit his peak, it was a higher level than any of the others reached. Um, a ginger 11 is, is difficult, but I have one. So I've got Oliver Kahn in goal. I've cheated a little bit. I've got Gordon Strachan at right back. Uh, obviously played in midfield, right side midfield normally. But I've got him at right back. Hard working player. He'd be fine. John Arnorisa at left back. I've got Alexi Lalas and Zammer as my centre backs. That's not ideal because Zammer is obviously uh, Zammer is a, is a is a sweeper and a defensive midfielder, not necessarily a centre back. But he did play a bit of centre back, and he'd be fine. Alexi Lalas, not a very good player at all, but you know, cool hair, cool beard, and he's ginger, so he's in. In midfield, I've got a I've got a box midfield. Um, I've got. Billy Bremner as my ball-winning midfielder. Obviously, great success with those Leeds teams under Don Revy. Uh, I've got Scholes sat next to him more as the kind of the deep-lying playmaker type. I've got World Cup winner Alan Ball and Prozanecki. They were, they're the two more attack-minded midfielders. Ball is sort of a shuttler in between. He can drop in. It can be a three. And then up front... Uh, I've got John Hartson, who obviously, you know, West Ham, Wimbledon, Arsenal for a while, um, Celtic, great, great player for what he was. You know, that that ability to just dominate in the air, be a real bully, lead the line, um, maybe didn't reached the heights that he promised when he was coming through at Luton and then Arsenal paid big money for him. But I, I always enjoyed John Hartson. I liked what he brought to the team. Um, didn't score the goals he should have. That was... He was an aggressive player who maybe didn't focus his aggression in the right way. But for Celtic, he was brilliant. I loved him at Celtic. Um, him and Henrik Larsson were, were great together. Uh, did well for West Ham, did pretty well for Wimbledon, had a bit of a nightmare spell at Coventry. Remember, was it was it Wimbledon signed him? No, it was West Ham signed him and Paul Kitson on the same day. That was that was a good pairing. I like Paul Kitson as well. So, uh, shout out to Dave Kitson, who'd be another contender for this team, uh, another big red-headed player. Um, there's an Irish guy, I can't... Gary Doherty could play centre-back, or I think he was, I'm almost certain Gary Doherty was ginger. Paul McShane be another ginger. Gary Doherty. Yeah, he's ginger. Yeah, so we're building depth here with Gary Doherty, Paul McShane, and Dave Kitson. But anyway, enough rambling about John Hartson. Um, Binio Boniak, the Polish striker. Now, butchered his first name. Butchered it. Um, but he was he was a great player. Um, played for Juve, played for played for Roma. One of um, Platini's favorite teammates, apparently. 
tremendous player. Won the European Cup and a Serie A with, with Juve. Great player for Poland. Probably didn't show his best outside of the Polish league. Wasn't as lethal a goal scorer for Juve as I think they, they hoped he would be. But still, still a very, very good player and a very, very popular teammate. So he's my other forward player. Um, so yeah, I've got I've got him and Hearts in the front, box midfield, back four. Happy enough with that. Not a great team, but I mean the gingers. You know, you're not expecting much anyway. Um, Darren S follows up with, "Can you name eleven? Sorry, a decent eleven of either a combination of dreadlocked or afroed players with an individual breakdown in appreciation." Of their glorious tresses. Right. So again, I've got this. Rene Higita in goal. Now it's kind of an Afro perm type thing that we're working with here. But a glorious sight to see him 40 yards from his goal. Attempting to dribble around someone. With the wind blowing through his hair. And then him falling on the ground. Um, I've gone for uh, three at the back here. So I've got Christian Carambo at right wing back. Um... Great French midfielder. Would shave his head later in his career and never was quite the same player again. A proper box-to-box grinder of a midfielder. Underrated on the ball, but a quality player. I've had to leave out some crackers here. I'll point out. But I've got him at right wing back. I've got Marcelo at left wing back. Great afro. Great afro on Marcelo when it's fully grown out. Um, David Luiz is one of my centre-backs I'm not overly keen on this uh, I did have Ethan Ampadu in but I figured David Luiz is probably more accomplished in his career but we've obviously all seen the Sideshow Bob uh, appearance of David Luiz over the years Frank Reichardt, nice short dreads Rolls-Royce for player, phenomenal I went with Nathan Aki as my third centre-back because I wanted a left-footer um, he looks like Ruth Hullett's son. Same kind of face, same kind of hair. In midfield, this is where the intelligence... Well, I've already got great intelligence in Rijkaard, but the intelligence in this midfield... You might want to sit yourselves down for this one. Socrates, one of the greatest midfielders ever. A genius on and off the pitch. 6-4, plus an afro. Nice, luscious afro. Phenomenal. Carlos Valderrama. The man would do a Cruyff turn. His hair would turn three minutes later. That was the the volume of his hair. And Ruud Hullet, who had both an afro and dreadlocks at different point in his, points in his career. Uh, and up front, I've got Henrik Larsson. Obviously, when he arrived at Celtic from Feyenoord, he had the long dreads. Um, I assume, I always assumed they were uh, bleached. Doubt his natural hair was that colour. But yeah, yeah, Henrik Larsson, I mean, you can't go wrong. And then I've got Kevin Keegan, also more, more of a perm than an afro. White people can't really grow afros if we're all being truthful here. It is a thing that's more common with Africans and, you know, African-Americans and black people. It's not really a thing that white people have the, the, the capability of doing. But, you know, you get someone that grows curly hair, it gets it permed and continues to, you know, get a bit of volume into it. It, it looks like an afro. So I've got Kevin Keegan up front. Um, I left out Edgar Davids, uh, obviously had dreads for a while, uh, well, for, for a good while. Um, Clarence Seydorf, I seem to remember, had short dreads back in the early days of his career. 
when he was at Ajax and went to Sampdoria. Now, I could be totally wrong, but I'm almost, I'm almost certain that Clarence Seedorf had some sort of long hair appendage. Uh, let's see. Yeah, he did. He had short dreads. I don't know if they can be classed as dreads, but they're definitely dreadlocks. Ah, there we go. When he was at Real Madrid, he had good long dreadlocks. So, yeah. I'm very disappointed in myself that I've had to leave, leave Seedorf off. I'd probably, in retrospect, uh, leave Nathan Aki out, go to a back four, and bring in Seedorf. Uh, that's actually what I'm going to do. I'm going to play Carambu and, and Marcelo as fullbacks. Um, I have cheated with Keegan, so I feel like I should probably rectify that one. So maybe we chuck Keegan out and get Davids in and just play Hullodolf Larson. But yeah, I, I think that's a solid team. I think that's a much better team than the Gingers. They would wipe the floor with the Gingers. Uh, FAC 977, in a spectacular act of idiocy and against the wishes of the FA, Boris Johnson unilaterally Unilaterally expanded the homegrown floor from 8 to 10 players. Which club will be the hardest hit? And who will they be forced to leave off their squad list? Um... To be completely honest, most of the league would be fine. Uh, Liverpool would be in trouble, I think it's fair to say. I think Arsenal would be fine. Villa Villa could have some trouble there. Um, their academy would probably save them, but... Actually, you know, you don't think about it now. Only McGinn... He have Douglas Louise. So Douglas Louise, right? Douglas Louise wasn't at. No, he doesn't count. So they've got Douglas Louise, Emmy Martinez, McGinn, Buendia, and Bailey. Yeah, they'd, they'd be. What, what, I think what you'd find is a lot of teams would still go the route of having. A lot of foreign players in the front of first 11. You'd see weaker squads is what would happen. Um, Liverpool's squad would be drastically weakened because they'd have to sell off a few of the foreign players who are their, their better backups. The likes of a Joel Matip, Naby Keita, uh, maybe even a Diogo Jota or Bobby Firmino. One of them might have to go. Um, they would be badly hit. United would lose quite a bit of their good depth. City would would lose a lot of their good depth. Um, Spurs would lose a lot of their good depth. The bigger clubs would be the hardest hit. The bigger clubs would be the hardest hit. Because when you look at Villa, Brentford, Brighton, Burnley, Palace, uh, Everton, Newcastle, Norwich, Saints... They don't have, you know, Watford, West Ham and Wolves just around there. They don't have great depth anyway. So it may not be a huge drop-off for them. Now, the issue with it would be you'd have to put in place some sort of more realistic threshold of what we're paying for English players. Because if Boris Johnson does that, it's going to skyrocket the price of English players even more than it currently does. The premium on them would be ridiculous. The, the homegrown route is in part why we see $100 million for Jack Grealish. Um, I think every club would be affected because players would be far more expensive. 
But I think the big clubs that have the big deep squads that allow them to compete on multiple fronts, they're the ones most hard hit. But Liverpool would definitely be uh, among them. And finally, uh, Cotter 9-2-1. With Chelsea closing in on Lukaku, Lukaku, do you think they're a genuine threat for the title this year? How many horse races the title? Will we have a three to four horse race for the top spot for the first time in years? I think we will. I think it's City, Liverpool and Chelsea for the title. I don't think United are there. I think the manager holds them back and the lack of quality in midfield. There's also question marks at the goalkeeper position and at right back. So United, there's too many holes for me. Chelsea have a couple of issues as well, but Lukaku is elite and they've got a great manager. They've got some top class players through the team. If they get Kunde as well, and if they add Chimeni, who they've been linked with from uh, Monaco, if they added those three, they're right in the mix. They are one of the favourites. Lukaku puts them in the mix already, but you add those two, that's a serious team that could well could well win the league. Uh, we know City will be there. We expect Liverpool to be there. Liverpool have work to do, though. They need to get a, a, an attacker in. They need to get a midfielder in. Failing to do that, Liverpool will be ruled out of that mix for me. They'll still have, if not the best eleven. One of the best 11s, but the squad isn't there right now. Um, I think Lukaku puts Chelsea right in the mix, though. Like, top-tier manager. Mendy's not brilliant, but he's still one of the better goalkeepers in the league, largely because there's not a lot of great goalkeepers in the league. James is a good right-back. Chilwell's a good left-back. If they add Kunde, that's great. But at the moment, Rudiger's decent. Zuma's decent. They're inconsistent. Christensen, I think, is the best of them, but his ceiling isn't as high as the others. When they're at their best, they're probably better than him. Their best game is probably better than his best game, but his bad game is far better than their bad game. He's that kind of player that has a high floor and a low ceiling, whereas they've got really low floors and then higher ceilings. Uh, Thiago Silva's obviously passed his best, so is Aspilicueta. Centre-back's the issue for them. In midfield, you'd, you'd want more of a, a holding midfielder. We know they want Rice. They won't get him. They'd like Chimeni. They may get him. They, who knows? But they've got Jorginho be confident coming off the Euros. They've got Kante. They've got Mount. They've got Kovacic. Ampadu could be that player in midfield for them if they're willing to give him an opportunity. So they're not the cupboard's not bare in midfield. It's just that they could do it with strengthening it. But in attack, the, the options are plentiful. You know, Like I said earlier, you've got Hudson-Odoi. You've got Pulisic. They're your kind of wing-type players. You've got Mount, you've got Havertz as attacking midfielder-type players. You've also got Zayach who can fit into both uh, both categories. Now, he may leave. We don't know yet. And then you've got uh, Lukaku. They still own Tammy Abraham. Now, he's, he's potentially out the door, but if they don't get the right offer, I think they will keep him. Um, so they're very, very strong. They're very, very strong. You can't really... Other than that centre-back, I don't think there's a massive gaping hole in the Chelsea team. Like I said, you can improve the midfield, you can improve the defence, but they're not things that are screaming... You can improve the, the goalkeeper. They're not things that are screaming out to be fixed straight away. It's not a case that if Chelsea don't improve the goalkeeper, they have no chance of top four. They still also own Michi Batshuayi. Now, I don't imagine he plays any part this season. I assume he'll go one way or another. Other midfield options, Loftus-Cheek is still there, Barkley's still there. Again, don't imagine there's any chance they play. They could bring Malang Sar back and use him in their back three. He'd be a good fit on the left-hand side. So that's an option for them. 
Um, and like I said, Ampadu could be an option either either centre back or in midfield if they need to play with a, a sitting ball winning midfielder as opposed to like a box to box ball winner in Kante or a sitting playmaker in Jorginho. But there's a strong squad there. There's not much that needs work. If they add Kunde, they're gonna be they're gonna be tremendous. Uh, Lukaku alone though makes them title contenders. Doesn't make them favourites. I'd still make them third favourite behind. City and Liverpool, but definitely I think we're looking at a three-horse race. If not the whole season, certainly into late April. If they add Kunde, I think that can push them to the end of the season and get them maybe across the line in front of the other two. Um, that is all the questions for today. We'll quickly wrap up with the gossip, though we have gone a bit long. Inter Milan expect Chelsea to return with an improved offer of 110 million. We've been over that. Uh, Jack Grealish's imminent arrival at Man City could trigger the departure of Bernardo Silva with Barcelona and Atletico Madrid keen on the 26-year-old. Uh, Barca broke in uh, Atletico, maybe a bit of cash. He'd be a good fit for Simeone. Don't know that they have the money for him, though. City would probably want £60 million. Now, some are saying, you know, this this new TV deal that they've done where they've sold, is it 10% of the rights for the next 50 years? They've sold them uh, to an investment fund for £2.7 billion, Something along that line. It's a lot of money either way. Uh, it will massively help, but it doesn't get the clubs out of the mess that they're in. It doesn't get Barca out of the mess they're in. It can just go as a down payment on the over billion uh, euro debt that they have. Villa are expected to pursue a deal for Todd Cantwell if Grealish completes his move to the Etihad. Would make sense. Can play all across the three behind the striker. Obviously knows Buendia very well, so you know has that existing relationship. Talented player, can score goals. Yeah, I, I think that one would make sense for them. I think it'd be a huge blow for Norwich if they lost him, though. Atalanta will hold talks with Chelsea this weekend to discuss a potential deal for Tammy Abraham. So the striker merry-go-round will be Lukaku to enter, Zabata from Atalanta to enter to replace him, and then Tammy from Chelsea to Atalanta to replace him. I think that's one of the most perfect moves Tammy could make. With the chances they create, he could score 35 goals. Genuinely. They create a ridiculous amount of chances. Zabata, I don't think, is as good as Tammy. If I was Inter, I'd be asking for Tammy. But Zabata's a proven quantity in Serie A, so that's probably who they'll go to. But he gets 20 goals a season. I think Tammy can get more. Paul Pogba will start the season with Manchester United, but will make a decision on his future before the transfer deadline with PSG still interested. Uh, if I was United, I wouldn't let him play until a decision has been made. Tottenham want to sign an attacking midfielder this summer. With PSV Eindhoven's Noni Madueki and Sampdoria's Mikel Dams, excuse me, Damsgaard on their shortlist. Now, Noni was already there. He was at Spurs for years as part of their academy and left to join PSG. So maybe they have a buyback. PSV, rather. Maybe they have a buyback. Uh, Damsgaard's a quality player. He's not ready for the Premier League yet, in my view. Barcelona's Harry Kane. No, sorry. Barcelona's forward Phil Coutinho is among players Tottenham will target if they sell Harry Kane. That was really weird for me for a second. Um, no, you won't be. That's nonsense. Absolute rubbish. They, they won't even consider him. Lionel Messi is expected to sign his Barcelona contract this week. He has verbally agreed a new five-year deal. We'll see his wages cut by 50%. Nonsense. He's not taking a cent of a pay cut. He might be getting less money in the first year, 
But you watch that contract rise over the five years. He is getting every single penny. Leicester have turned down a player plus cash deal from Arsenal for James Madison. The Foxes are reportedly not interested in the players Arsenal have offered. So the players that were rumoured were Willock, Maitland-Niles, uh, Enketia and Reese Nelson, I think. So we may well see Arsenal look to sell those four players and then turn that money into Madison. It does look like, though, that they're going to push heavily for Madison. It also looks like Leicester are open to a deal this summer. Chelsea's attempts to sign Jules Kunde have stalled because Kurt Zuma has rejected a move to West Ham. Um, I think the Guardian are wrong about this. I think he's rejected the move. I think he's rejected the move to Sevilla in favour of a move to West Ham. Uh, West Ham is believed to be his favourite destination if he has to leave. Uh, I think that's just incorrect information from the Guardian, which I wouldn't expect any more from them, especially the journalists involved. Newcastle have expressed an interest, expressed an interest in signing Ollie Skip on loan from uh, Tottenham. Good player, but doesn't make sense for them. So I, I don't know why they would do that. Sheffield United are hoping to sign Ben Davies on home uh, on loan from Liverpool. Uh, he's not made an appearance since joining. I don't know why Liverpool signed him if they're going to loan him out. Utterly pointless. Liverpool and Switzerland winger Jordan Shakiri is the subject of interest from Lazio after telling the Anfield hierarchy of his desire to leave. He's, he's already said he asked to leave. Uh, Lazio had Pereira on loan from United last season. You would imagine that Shakiri would be to fill that, that role in the squad. Uh, they best come up with the money, though. They, it's going to cost them 10 to 12 million. And Liverpool aren't going to release them on a free. So if you're seeing those rumours, it's nonsense. Um, Crystal Palace manager Patrick Vieira says he had a good conversation with Wilf Zaha and hopes he will stay. I hope he stays as well. I hope he stays the rest of his career and they build a statue of him. I'd love them to win the League Cup with him there. Something, anything at all, just to get him some silverware. I think it would mean more than going somewhere else and winning winning something. Um, Palace have targeted Arsenal forward. Reese Nelson as a potential loan signing. It'd be a clever signing. Can play wide, can play up front. Has goals in his game. Could be a fill-in for Eberichi Eze while he's out. Not as a creator, but just as a starter. Add pace from the wide areas. Uh, Atletico Madrid midfielder Saul Niguez has attempt, is attempting to engineer a move to Liverpool. <laughs> However, the Reds remain unconvinced that the 26-year-old wants to move to Anfield. That's from caught offside, which is utter trash. Um, but yeah, there'll be I think there'll be news on, on that one in the next few days. Watford are closing in on the signing of Slovakia midfielder Juraj Kuka from Parma. He's 34. Uh, be a bit of a surprising one, you know, decent player, but just at his age, it's not really one that would make sense. You don't really see 34-year-old midfielders coming to the Premier League having never played in the Premier League. Uh, but Parma did get relegated last season, so would make sense that um, that he would want to leave and play at a higher level. I, I just, I think he'd be better off if he went to Udinese rather than Parma. I don't know that he'll cope very well with the with the Premier League at 34. Southampton are closing in on the signing of Adam Armstrong. No, they're not. This is from Football League World. I've no idea who they are. I saw them as an account on Twitter yesterday. Uh, they've got a crappy-looking website that looks like a 14-year-old designed it. Uh, any, any space down the sides, lads? No. Uh, Dreadful-looking thing. 
Uh, no, absolutely not true. Um, he could still end up at Norwich. Norwich are currently the favourites to sign him. Joshua Kimmich has agreed a new five-year deal with Bayern Munich. That is from uh, Bills. That should be okay. Uh, Austrian midfielder Marcel Sabitzer's contract runs out in 2022 with RB Leipzig. And the 27-year-old who has been linked with Bayern, Bayern Munich has told the club he does not want to extend it. He'll be sold this summer. Um, he will be sold this summer. There's absolutely no doubt he is on his way. He will be a bargain for somebody at around 15 million. And there are Premier League clubs who will very, very greatly, I think, regret not jumping for him, uh, including Spurs, who've tracked him for years. That's it then. That is the show. Thank you, as always, for listening. It is a little bit of a long one today. But, you know, we always go a bit long on a Thursday. Um, Questions, all kinds of stuff. So, yeah, it's a bit of fun. Take care of yourselves. See you tomorrow. Thank you to Guy, as always. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.